Hey everybody, how you doing? Welcome to the Pillars Podcast. Of course, I am Dylan Bowman, and I want to thank you for being here in the time of infinite content. I am honored that you would spend time with us here on the show. And today's episode is a great one with my new friend Alex Borsuk from here in Portland, Oregon. Alex is a prolific and super versatile adventure athlete. She's a trail runner, ultra runner, mountaineer, ski mountaineer, rock climber, cyclist, and uh, generally just an outdoor savant. And uh, she's also a self-described weekend warrior, though obviously a very serious one. But she does manage to balance her career as a nutritionist and sports dietitian with an insanely impressive resume of athletic achievement. So in this conversation, we talk about Alex's background, her career and perspectives on nutrition uh, before we pivot and talk about some of her incredible adventures that she's done recently, including the Mount Rainier Infinity Loop, which she did with Caitlin Gerben in 2019 and her unsupported Wonderland Trail FKT, which she did just this past summer in 2020. Alex, again, is a, is a personal friend of mine, a personal inspiration of mine, and uh, she does a great job of making these huge, incredible, potentially intimidating adventures seem accessible and approachable to us normal people. So I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation. And before we get to it, just a quick, very exciting announcement. That's right. Today is the day. Uh, the Pillars app that I have been talking about now for several weeks is now live in the iOS app store. And we are so, so, uh, both thrilled, a little nervous, um, but just, yeah, very excited to have all of our hard work finally out in the real world and uh, in a place where you guys can start interacting with it if it's something that you're interested in. Thank you guys so much for the patience. I know we were a little bit delayed. For Android users, uh, we kindly ask for just a little bit more patience as we hope to have that up and ready very soon, uh, at which point we will make an announcement here on the podcast, on our Instagram account at Pillars, and on our newsletter, which you can subscribe to at our website, pillars.com. Um, and as I said in the announcement episode, we obviously want to keep this podcast ad advertisement free. Um, so if you enjoy the show and you want to support it, the best thing you can do would be to subscribe to the app, which again went live in the iOS app store today. That's right. We'll have more announcements about Pillar stuff in the near future. But for now, please welcome this week's guest, the great Alex Borsuk. Okay, Alex Borsuk, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming over to the office here. Thanks for having me. We're in St. John's, Portland, Oregon, your future neighborhood. <laughs> Pretty soon, a couple of weeks. Yes, we're going to be neighbors. <laughs> it's going to be great. We can be training partners. We can drink cold beers together Perfect. occasionally. You brought me a nice stash here for a little podcast, but... We missed you this morning. Oh, did you guys, you <laughs> yeah, guys met up this morning? Did. Oh my gosh, now <laughs> I am totally embarrassed. Yeah, well, uh, we'll have to start next Wednesday. Anyway, people who are listening to this have no idea what we're talking about. So <laughs> let's talk about you, man. Well, you know, I think, you know, we've gotten to know each other a little bit since I moved to Portland, but you've lived here for a little while, um, but I don't know that much about you. So maybe start with some deep bio about who you are, where you're from, uh, what you do professionally and recreationally as well. These are always hard questions. Um, okay, so I'm from Ohio, grew up in Ohio, uh, went to school at Ohio University, went to grad school at Ohio State, uh, lived there until I graduated, and then I got a job in Bellingham, Washington, right when I graduated. Uh, <laughs> left my now husband back in Ohio, moved to Bellingham, worked my dream job um, as a grocery store dietitian. And then uh, the company I worked for went bankrupt. So mm -hmm. I got laid off from my position along with like 70% of the company. And because I was out there alone and I wasn't like really certain like 
what my future held. Mm -hmm. I moved back to Ohio um, because my husband, Matt, was still there. Um, We lived there for like six months, and then his job ended up getting transferred to Portland because we knew we wanted to move back west after, you know, living here for a brief year. Mm -hmm. Um, So we moved to Portland six years ago. We've been here since. That's so awesome. What does Matt do? Matt's an engineer. Cool. And he's from Ohio as well? Yep. Yeah, we grew up like an hour apart, coincidentally. Oh, cool. Yeah. So how did the two of you guys become like such outdoorsy people growing up in in Ohio? That's a good good question. Did you you guys have like this mutual understanding that you wanted to move west eventually together? um, Well, we we both came from like pretty different backgrounds. Um, My family has always been super active, like bike riding and hiking. Ohio doesn't have like much in terms of like mountains, obviously, but we do have a national park in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of time hiking with my parents as kids. Um, You know, I was active. I played soccer and throughout high school. Um, Every year we would go on like a Christmas vacation to like a national park. Uh, We would go to like Southwest or something, go on like a hiking trip. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of like have always felt a connection to being outside, but never really like had the resources to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, I don't want to speak out of term, but I don't think he was <laughs> as active. I think, um, I mean, he definitely was active, but um, he had more of a love for rock climbing. Mm-hmm. So we met in college. I was in grad school and he was an undergrad and he was the president of the Mountaineers Club, mm-hmm. which is essentially the climbing club. And um, this is at the Ohio uh, State University? <laughs> yes, the Ohio State. Um, and so we met there and I would go climbing every weekend. Um, and then found that love together. Um, We would go to like the New River Gorge, um, the Red River Gorge. One time we drove to Moab from Ohio. (laughs) One time we drove to Vegas for the weekend. Wild. (laughs) Um, And so then we um, basically like, the more we spent outside rock climbing, the more we knew we kind of wanted to live somewhere where we could do more things like that. Mm -hmm. So when I had this um, job offer before I graduated to move to Washington, I had never been to the Northwest. I had never known what a volcano was. I know that Mm -hmm. sounds so naive, but we just didn't have them in Ohio or know about them. Um, And so coming out to the Northwest was like this entirely new experience. Um, So we flew over Mount Baker which is the volcano in Bellingham, and I was blown away by it's it. It's incredible, isn't oh, it? It's so you know, We big. were on Orcas Island this summer and went up to Mount Constitution mm. at sunset. I mean, and even from that vantage point, Mount Baker is just an insanely impressive peak. Oh, anyway, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so we when I moved there, it was just like this whole new world I'd never... Mm even considered and just totally fell in love with it. And he, uh, he came out and visited and stayed the summer and the same went for him. He's like, I love it. Let's figure out how to live here permanently. Wow. That's so cool. So how do you kind of think about yourself athletically? Like you talk about your history of being a rock climber, trail runner, ultra runner, you cycle a lot, mountaineer, ski mountaineer, skier. You just like a Swiss army knife of shred (laughs) what uh yeah how how do you think about yourself athletically or like what about the multi-sport uh thing is calls to you yeah I mean I'm definitely a jack of all trades master of none type of athlete (laughs) um I'm pretty decent at most of these things oh you're great at a lot of these things um but I just I I just enjoy being outside Mm -hmm. so I would never be a runner if it meant I had to run on a treadmill mm. or a cyclist if it meant I can only indoor cycle. I would, I just want to be outside. So whatever medium takes me to these places, I'm excited about. That's so cool. Um, so you ended up moving to the Northwest and uh, you started in, in Bellingham for a, what was it, a national a natural food store or something? Yeah, it was a, it was a cool grocery store that was kind of actually somewhat a new season. So like uh, mostly organic, some conventional. And so what was your role? I mean, what do you do for a chain like that? Yeah, so I did like in-person consultations um, for nutrition. So if someone came in from... Really? Yeah, it was awesome. They don't offer that at New Seasons, do they? Or Whole Foods? No, they should. Well, I think New Seasons has something similar. But yeah, say if someone like got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes from their doctor Uh and they had no idea where to start. And, you know, nutrition starts in the grocery store when you're picking out what food to buy. 
So they would come to me, I would talk to them about kind of what they were diagnosed with, and then we would take a tour around the grocery store, help them buy different that products. That is so cool. I, I, mean, I love it. that's visionary. How did that business go bankrupt? Oh, well, they had a lot of other issues. Other issues. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would do like group grocery store tours. Um, I would teach classes. I would do like um, cooking classes that were really mm. fun. Um, it was super variable. I got to actually plan my position. So cool. Yeah, we did a lot of fun stuff. That's so cool. So then talking about another cool visionary business, you ended up in Portland. You mm-hmm. worked for Evolution Healthcare yep. and Fitness here in Portland. Shout out to those guys. How did that end up happening? Um, that I've worked for them for quite a while. Um, but I basically just I met Brad. Um, I actually met Dana, Dana Katz. She's mm-hmm. an awesome running coach, and she works for Evo- at Evolution as well. And she introduced me to Brad and kind of got hooked up that way. But, yeah. I mean, you know, Evolution's great. It's like the all-encompassing place for an athlete to go to focus on their health. Yeah. So, so is that did that job bring you down to Portland then? No. No, I was here before that. And okay. then I, I think I lived here about a year before. Yeah. Because you there. went back to Ohio. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, shout out to Brad. Brad Farah, um, Evolution is such a cool facility and, yeah, such a great model that allows athletes to, yeah, both train and get all their, uh, you know, healthcare, body work done, nutrition stuff. So let's talk about what you do professionally because, you know, to me, like, I don't really know what it means to be a nutritionist or like a sports dietitian. So maybe give us the uh, introduction to your day-to-day and how you hope to help and influence the people who come to see you. Yeah, so my job is really fun because I work mostly with athletes. And most of the time I get to tell athletes to eat more, eat more pizza, eat more tacos. (laughs) You know, athletes require a lot of calories to be able to do what they can do successfully and avoid injury and you know stay healthy um, so I meet with athletes one-on-one we get to learn a lot about them you know nutri- nutrition is super personalized everything it, there's not one thing that works across the board for everyone and we all have different things in life that cause us to make different food decisions so like on average we make over 200 food decisions every day mm-hmm. and they're not all like, oh, that sounds really good. I'm going to eat that. You know, maybe it's like, is this available? Is it inexpensive? Can I afford it? Does mm-hmm. it taste good? Is it nutritious for me? So the more I get to learn about a person and what influences their decisions, the more we can make this really personalized and have it work for them. Yeah. So we meet, we chat. Um, I ha- look at their diet and look for all the nutrients that are present in it because course that's that's important too so you know athletes especially have different needs for certain nutrients so you know potentially a higher iron intake you know calories protein magnesium all these like macro and micronutrients are are different for an athlete versus someone who isn't Mm -hmm. so we look at that and then we set some goals based on what their goals are so say it's like through hike the pct or it's trained for a hundred mile or learn how to eat while they're running which is Sounds easy, but it can actually be quite difficult. <laughs> so we we focus on whatever these goals are, and you know, short and long term, and get them to where they need to be. So they provide you with like a self-reported diary of food that they've eaten, with some goal that they want to achieve, and then you come up with a plan to. More or, or less, yeah. <laughs> as as you were saying that, it made me curious about something that. Um, just popped into my head and that is like supplementation and stuff with iron and magnesium. What's your philosophy on that? Because I know some people will sort of emphasize getting it through your diet versus going to Whole Foods and getting some supplement off the shelf. What's your what's your take on that? Yeah, for sure. It, it definitely is, it depends on the individual. Mm-hmm. So, you know, an iron supplement, it's If someone is, you know, plant-based, they're female, um, maybe they don't enjoy the taste of beans, um, which is a great source of iron, you know, maybe we talk about a supplement. First, I want to focus on food, but if there's like some extenuating circumstance that prevents them from getting enough of that nutrient through food, then Mm. we can discuss adding in a supplement. Mm. Cool. And you said also that, you know, oftentimes you have to tell athletes to, to eat more pizza and tacos and things like that. So what's the relationship there between like maybe not eating enough and health problems or injury or? Yeah, I mean, chronic under eating can, list, or can definitely lead to injury, um, 
poor recovery rate, mm-hmm. getting sick more often, you know, stress fractures, mental burnout. I mean, there's so many things that mm-hmm. can lead to. Um, I mean, we need to have enough to support our needs, yeah. and athletes have such high needs. And you know, under eating over time or not eating enough can definitely impact performance in like such a huge way, mm-hmm. more than like a lack of training can. Yeah. I remember listening to an interview with Ryan Hall, you know, the pro marathoner who said that, you know, the, his number one goal at all times is always to be like as light as he possibly could, you know, to be as fast as he possibly could. And that over time he thinks that all those years of like just trying to be so light and so lean had a really detrimental impact on his ability to stay healthy and on his energy levels. And now he's like, 230 pounds of just like pure muscle with the entire, you know, the opposite way. It's yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah, well, I mean, that's great work. I mean, that's an important thing to uh, help people with. So, like, what's your process then of like um, determining how to help an athlete? You, you see their food log, you determine what their goals are. Is there anything practical that you can take uh, or kind of uh, illustrate for us to help us understand like, a practical piece of advice that you would implement into somebody's, um, I guess, nutrition regimen. Maybe for somebody who, just to, to, to help out with this, maybe somebody who's training for a 100 miler who has trouble kind of bonking or keeping food down later in a race. How would you help out? Mm, okay, so I would say I think it's more important while running in these in long training runs or races to Focus on foods that taste good to you and you're excited about Mm. rather than foods that like might look really attractive on a package. Um, So like an energy gel, if you Mm. don't like that and you wouldn't eat that sitting on your couch, you're probably not going to eat that 80 miles into a run. Mm. Um, So find things that are exciting. So like if you open up your pack and you know, you're a few hours into a run and you're like, wow, I have a cookie. This is awesome. I can't wait to eat this. You're probably going to eat more food and fuel yourself properly throughout your run than something you're like, ugh, I don't want to eat that and throw it back in there. And then you become more calorie deficit over time. Is there anything that you think is like misunderstood as it relates to sports nutrition that irritates you? So many things. (laughs) Um, Oh my God, where do I start? This could be a whole nother podcast. (laughs) Um, I really think like... I, th- I don't like the term that there are like bad foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when people like get really excited and want to train, they want to eat super clean and that's great. And we do need nutrients from these, these really good, healthy foods, but it's like totally okay to eat pizza, to eat tacos, to drink yeah. a beer. Like that's all fine things that it all adds to your like longevity mentally and physically. Yeah. What about what about alcohol? What about beer and wine and things like that? Like, do you does that is that part of your profession? Is that something that you have to give advice on? Obviously, like you're never going to encourage people to drink heavily, but like, do people come to you and ask you about alcohol intake? And if so, how do you advise them? Yeah, that's I get that question a lot. Um, I think that if it's it's a hard alcohol is a hard question. <laughs> um, I think. That if it's something that you feel in control of and it brings you joy in a modified way, then I think it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Like I think a post-run beer with friends is not a bad thing. Right. That's a really good thing. Yeah. I know this year with COVID, we haven't really been able to do that, but going out for beers with friends afterward and sharing like a plate of nachos is like such a good mental thing. Yeah. Uh, or it can be if, if that's something that you're into. Well, I mean... I, th- I don't know. I think there's been, like, studies on this, right? Where, like, you know, Italians who are eating bread and pasta because they do it communally as a family and often with many bottles of wine, you know, I don't know. Does that impact, like, the how your body interacts with the, the nutrients that you put in, you know? Is, is pasta less... I shouldn't say less unhealthy, but is it is it healthier when you're consuming it with friends and family and, and a couple of bottles of wine? You know, it is like part of it probably does have something to do with the environment in which you're eating. You know, I and, think so. And, yeah, yeah, and having a few beers is like a like actually maybe a if not 
you know, uh, physically nutritious, it can be sort of like mentally nutritious for us. I for guess. sure. I mean, if you're like, if you, as long as you're not replacing nutrients from food with beer, yeah, okay. like post run, right. and like you're having both, that's yeah. fine. But if, as soon as it replaces it, then you're kind of putting yourself in a hole for <laughs> yeah, recovery. <laughs> totally. So like, obviously nutrition is like, kind of a hot topic, right? Where people get very dug in into their personal philosophies and kind of think that, you know, one way is better than the other. But obviously, as you've said already, things are, are very individual. Do you encounter that in your job as well of like having to uh, confront, you know, whatever the latest like nutrition fad or food fad is? And, uh, and if so, sort of like, how do you deal with that? What kind of advice do you give? Yeah, all the time. I have people come up to me with, with questions, you know, when keto was really popular, um, intermittent fasting, all of these like uh-huh. more fad type diets. And I mean, I make it very clear, um, with my nutrition philosophy, like online and to my clients and through work, like I'm about moderation yeah. and moderation isn't going to change throughout the years. Yeah. Like this isn't going to go away. And we just like eating the right nutrients is what's important. And all these fad diets are going to stick around for a couple months or maybe they'll work for you for a little bit, but Mm. it's not a long-term thing. And so, you know, talking to people about that and like making them understand that like, this isn't not a long-term thing, but what can be long-term is these, you know, 70% of the time making sure you're eating the right nutritious stuff Mm -hmm. and still leaving time for that enjoyment. Because I like, personally and professionally, like food is about enjoyment. And if we take that part out and just focus on like a strict diet, it's not, we're not going to have a pretty good quality of life. That's so true. I mean, the phenomenon of people losing a bunch of weight on some diet that they can commit to for two or three months and then gain it all back plus some or whatever. I think that's uh, obviously something that's ubiquitous and probably something you deal with as well. What about, Mm -hmm. you just mentioned like fasting and what about like timing of, of eating? You know, this is something that I've actually been thinking about quite a lot. It's like, I feel so much better in life when, and in training, when I have breakfast, mm-hmm. like when I eat in the morning and like, and also lunch. And so basically eating around my training. Do you mm-hmm. have any input on that? Yeah. I mean, I personally, I like to eat before I run. I don't, my stomach tolerates that. Yeah. There's some people that don't. So I always encourage if you can't eat something before you run, just try something small. Like mm-hmm. whether it's a half a banana, that's yeah. fine. I think having something before a run really just like sets your body up for success. Yeah. Um, especially if you're an early morning running, early morning runner, yeah. and maybe you didn't eat since dinner the night before, and then you run at you know 7 p.m. and then you run at 7 a.m. It's a long time to go yeah. in the fasting state. So just a little bit of something can help you know, with performance. And then I definitely encourage people to eat after, uh, after a run. So within like, you know, it's a little loose, but within like half an hour to two hours, making sure that you're refueling your body to start that recovery process. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So enough about nutrition. I mean, we could go on about this stuff forever, but (laughs) you know, you, you also have a lot of other interesting things to talk about and, uh, you're an incredible athlete yourself and there's a few, amazing adventures that uh, you've done recently that I'd love to pick your brain about. Um, and maybe we'll, we'll loop some of your nutritional expertise into, into these conversations. But the first thing I want to talk about is the infinity loop, <laughs> which you did last summer, an incredible uh, undertaking that you did with our mutual friend, Caitlin Gerben. First of all, can you just give the listeners an idea of what the infinity loop is, where it is, what the statistics are, things like that? Sure. So I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> I always do. But um, the infinity loop, the Rainier infinity loop is uh, an infinity shape around Rainier. So you start and you climb the mountain. Um, we climbed from Paradise, so we climbed the DC route. You descend the other side. Um, then you hop on the Wonderland Trail, take that back to where you started climb and descend the mountain again, and then take the other part of the wonderland back to the beginning. So essentially it's two two climbs and descents of Rainier and a whole lap around the mountain via the wonderland. So what are the statistics on that? Do you know like mileage and Oh, yeah. So I think it's like 
<laughs> like 150 miles. It's like 150-something. I think like maybe 45 or 55,000 feet of gain. It was such an experience, I took it out of my brain. (laughs) That is really incredible. So, um, like, what's the history of it? Like, how did how did this end up on your radar? Something that you wanted to tackle? Yeah. So this came up with such an idea. (laughs) This is an idea by Chad Kellogg um, a number of years ago. Unfortunately, he passed away before he was able to complete it. Um, And then I think it was four or five years ago at this point where it was done for the first time. Um, and then it's seen a couple of completions since then. And I've just always been really inspired by it because Rainier is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, climbing Rainier is a bucket list thing for sure. And then the Wonderland Trail, another bucket list. Best trail thing. in the world. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so the, to combine that is unreal. And then to also like incorporate two different sports into one big adventure uh-huh. is like what gets me excited. That is such a theme of your life, (laughs) combining sports and being the Swiss army knife that you are. So let's talk about the the actual infinity loop undertaking itself. So you guys start at paradise and you start with the act with the ascent of Mount Rainier. Correct. And uh, how did that go? Was that uneventful? Because you basically you climb up over the top and then down the the backside Mm -hmm. to White River campground. Yep. Um, which people who've been on the Wonderland Trail know all about. It's a landmark. Um, so, yeah, like, how did that, that first half of things go, getting back to Paradise? <laughs> the first... Uh, so we were going for the overall FKT, and which was a big goal, but we were excited about it. The first summit went pretty well. We had pretty good weather. Conditions were pretty good. It was very windy at the top, but otherwise pretty good. Um, we descended the Emmons and went to White River. We were feeling pretty jazzed. We were like, all right, one quarter done, which is absolutely not true. <laughs> were we what? Were you guys on pace at that point? We were. We yeah. were doing really well. Um, and <laughs> so then we start the running portion, which is, it was about 30 miles to get back to Paradise. And I started having some like serious issues, yeah. um, some serious stomach issues, which it doesn't like doesn't really happen to me that often, yeah. especially when running. Um, I usually have like nutrition pretty dialed. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so this was this was weird for me. So I was having some issues, and we ended up basically slow walking all 30 miles. Really? Oh yeah, it was rough. It was really really bad. Um, we so early in the so in the early. Too. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and so I think that part took us 10 hours, which wow was a long time. We yeah. had. I think planned for seven, six or seven. So, and that was because of me. I was like having to stop to go to the bathroom constantly and it was just, wasn't great. So we got back to paradise and we were still feeling okay with time. We thought we could make it up like on the climbing portion or on the rest of the wonderland. Cause I mean, our bodies felt okay. It was just kind of my stomach. That was this issue. So we got back, we took, we changed, got our mountaineering gear back on. Um, I think we took like a half an hour rest and then we started off the second for our second summit and this huge storm that we did not expect or see uh, was like occurring. So we were like, you know, pretty nervous about this, but it was like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. It was dark. We're like, we'll just go see kind of what it's like. We started up the climb, made it to Camp uh, Camp Muir, which is 10,000 feet. So most people camp out before they make the summit attempt. Yeah, so we, we may have been like pretty bad timing, but it was so windy. I mean, yeah. it was like 90 mile an hour gusts. I mean, it was insane. Um, and so we made the really tough decision uh, to descend. Uh, there was no way that we You're thought going forward was gonna happen in like yeah. a safe way. You know, we were already out there in um, less gear than what you would normally bring on a type of mountaineering adventure yeah. uh, because we were moving light and fast. And so we, it was, it was really hard, but we thought the best decision for us and, you know, safety first was then to descend. Cool. So before we go any further, I'm curious because you did it in like self-supported style, but mm-hmm. because it is like a multi-sport undertaking, how do you approach like gear and stuff? What does that mean self-supported? Cause you have to like 
have crampons and stuff to go up to the summit. How did you plan that all logistically and gear wise? Yeah, so this was a very fun part for yeah, me. <laughs> um, I love the logistics. Um, but we each had two sets of gear. So two sets of climbing gear, two sets of running gear. Um, and so when we would cl climb, we would have our specific like crampons, boots, pack, rope, ice axe, all that important stuff. Um, we had, and we had two cars, one parked at Paradise, one parked at White River, which okay. were our two spots. And when we'd get back down off the mountain, we would ditch our mountaineering stuff, grab our sec our first or second set of running clothes, change, and then come back. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. Fascinating. And why did you guys choose to do it in a self-supported style? Like, you know, both your husbands are very much adventure <laughs> sport people. I'm sure they would have at least, uh, reluctantly accepted or, uh, you know, accepted the responsibility of crewing this amazing undertaking. Why'd you guys go self-supported? I, you know what? No one's ever asked me that question. Yeah. Um, I think, I think we just wanted to do it. We wanted to just like rely on ourselves there. You know, I learned to mountaineer from a, a bunch of guys. Yeah. Uh, most of my partners are guys. Yeah. And this was the first time that we had been able to do something just as women together with no extra help. And there was something so cool and like so raw about that, that we just wanted to like, you know, we're going to do this. We don't need anyone else's help. Like we're strong women. Like let's do this. Say more about that. Cause that's <laughs> so, it's so freaking cool. You know, like knowing both you and Caitlin personally, like you guys are such badasses, you know, and you can do so many different outdoor activities at like a very high level. And as you said, it is, you know, all these sports are very heavily populated by, by men. How do you, uh, yeah, sort of like view yourself within the context of outdoor adventure sport? And, and do you sort of like hope to use your documentation of these adventures to sort of inspire other women? I mean, that would be awesome if, yeah. if other women are inspired. I know there was a, a group of two women who went and did the Rainier Infinity Loop uh, last year, really, which was really cool to see. Yeah. Um, and they just, they, they thought it was a really cool idea. And so they went after it and they completed it, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, this is all of these sports are just so male dominated and yeah. I'm not sure exactly why that is. Um, I I've seen more and more females get into it, but mm -hmm. a lot of times our mentors are guys yeah. and like, I learned how to climb from Matt and I learned how to ice climb from my friend Kyle and learned how to mountaineer from, you know, a number of guys in the Northwest. And that's cool. And I'm really grateful for those opportunities, but there's just a certain special dynamic that comes from learning from a female yeah. or being out there with female. There's, there's things that like, you just are able to like know about your partner without even speaking because uh -huh. you, you just can relate to that experience. And I think to like, <clears throat> we, we can be emotional without being afraid of, you know, someone saying like, stop being such a girl or yeah, something yeah. or whatever. Um, and it's, it's special to just like be tough, but also like feel like you could just be yourself out there. Amazing. So. That is so cool. Well, maybe eventually you and Caitlin can drag my ass up Mount Rainier. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> pay it forward to, uh, to uh, us soft men. Um, well, then, like, let's let's talk about the, yeah, go back to where we left off. So you, you had to bail down from Camp Muir on the Infinity Loop. You're on your way up to do the second summit. You've probably been moving and awake for, you know, what, however many hours at this point. How did that decision um, come about, and how did you guys come to the conclusion that you needed to turn around? Yeah, I mean, the weather was just so bad, and there was a lenticular cloud above the mountain, and we just, we did not feel safe going yeah. forward. And we kept checking, like, the weather forecast and then the wind gusts, and it just, it wasn't feasible for us. Um, and I, I am quite positive that no one ended up summoning that day, so it kind of made us feel a little oh, better, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> our, our worries were justified. But so we went back down. Yeah, if it was two men, they'd probably be like, dude, don't be, yeah. <laughs> don't be soft, man. I'm like, let's keep going. Totally. And you guys and, are like, no, this is stupid. Well, it's like so easy though to get into that mentality though. Like it was easy for us to be like, well, let's just try it or do it. But we like made a pact, like, you know, we're going to do this, but we're going to do this in like the right way and we're right. going to stay safe. And, um, you know, staying safe is relative. We're obviously pushing the limits by going in like a light and fast way. But knowing our boundaries and knowing when to call it. 
So we went back down to the lodge, got a burrito, <laughs> kind of sad. We took a picture on the steps, on like the famous steps. And we were like pretty frowny and just kind of bummed. Um, we checked the forecast and it looked like maybe that night it would get better. We we're like, oh, we got to go back to work. Like we both worked the next day. Dude, I want to talk about that. <laughs> so we were like, oh, what are we going to do? Um, we went back to the van. We just like sat for a little bit, you know, dried our clothes. We were like soaked from this wind and rain and snow. Yeah. And just, um, so we basically just hung out in the parking lot all day. We didn't sleep. We didn't like do really anything productive because we were just kind of waiting on weather. Like, should we go home? Should we do this? Should we just run Wonderland? Like, what should we do with the rest of our time now? Um, And so we ended up just waiting it out and then went back up that night. Uh, The weather was a little better and we decided to give another go. So you guys (laughs) took like a 12 hour little safety break. Basically. Yeah. It's incredible. It was quite long. And it was a bummer because if we kind of would have known our decision, we could probably could have slept or yeah. like recovered or ate enough good food. But we were just kind of like waiting and seeing what we were going to do. It's really interesting because like you've already said that you had a 30 mile really slow march early in the day. Then you get turned around on your second summit at Camp Muir. It would have been so easy to just bail at this point. <laughs> Too easy. You guys must have talked about it. I mean, how, about it how did you decide to actually keep going? Like instead of packing it in and, and trying it again when conditions were more favorable. Yeah, I think, like, well, it was, I mean, our husbands were at home, our dogs were at home, the weather was shitty. Like, we didn't really want to be there at that point. But, and the FKT was, like, so far out of reach. Like, yeah, there was no yeah. way we were going after that so anymore. So that was out of the window, too. Yeah. yeah, so we were like, you know, we want to do this because it's an adventure, and we, this is something that we were, like, excited about regardless of the outcome. So I think that's what inevitably like allowed us to stay and, and keep going because, you know, it's a cool thing. Whether we get the FKT or not, like, this is an exciting, awesome adventure that we're both really stoked on. So mm-hmm. let's just do it and just see what happens just that's for so, the experience. <laughs> so you go up, tag the summit again, go down the other side, and then you have probably close to 50 miles to go on the Wonderland. Actually, more than that. More, 60 yes. miles almost, 55 miles. Yeah, well, and you have to go back up from Longmire to Paradise. Oh, right. So you have yeah, uh-huh. more than 60 miles. <laughs> yep. It was like oh 70 and something, yep. And from the description of your guys' attempt on the FKT site, you make it sound like that uh, 60 miles didn't come easy either. <laughs> Why don't you tell, tell a few war stories or explain maybe some of the highs and lows that you guys encountered there too? Yeah, that was rough. As soon as we, we really did not want to leave White River, we were just, we kind of knew what was going to happen. We're like, as soon as we leave, like we have no choice. We've got to go back to our car back at Paradise. Yeah. So... We both started crying. Like, we were not excited. We were like, oh, God, okay, we have to do this. It was like three days in at this <laughs> Yeah, point. three days and no sleep. And that those 70 miles or however long it was, was so hard. I don't think I've done anything harder in my life. And I don't know how long it took. I'm pretty sure I was, like, hallucinating for 60 of them, <laughs> maybe all of them. I don't know. Um, but we, we were so tired. I mean, I honestly think at that point we may have gotten an hour total of sleep before that. So we start off, we start off into the night, which of course is, is rough when you're already tired. And it was like midnight. I think we were at, oh God, I don't, I don't even remember. We were not very far in, maybe 10 miles in. Uh, and we decided to take a nap on the trail because we were just yeah. so tired. And so we like moved really fast or in our heads, what felt really fast, um, got our, like our heart rate up, our blood pressure pumping, mm-hmm. and then felt like a little warm. And then lay on the ground with our emergency blankets and basically woke up once we got cold again. Mm-hmm. So, do you know how long that was? Was it like 15 minutes? Or I don't was even it think it was that long. Though? I think it was like 10, oh, wow. maybe. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if someone would have seen us, they, we were just in the middle of the trail, yeah. just we didn't yeah. care. Um, and so we kept we kept going. Uh, I think five more hours, and then at the top of Moich, we hit a really bad low. Like yeah. this was really rough. And I was like, I cannot continue. The sun was like going to come up pretty soon, but I was like, I was so tired and I wasn't able to eat anything. So this was like probably two days in that I hadn't maybe ate 500 calories. Really? Wow. It was just awful. 
So really tired, Caitlin big spooned me on the trail with her emergency blanket. And again, like middle of the trail, we're in like minimal gear, minimal clothing with this emergency blanket. The sun had come up right at Isfis Pass yeah. and people were like stepping over us on the trail, like just walking around us, not even concerned that there's like two females spooning together. They have no idea what you've no been idea. at this point. And they're like, huh, all right. And so we, we rallied after that, um, went down to the lake. We, some lady made us mashed potatoes oh, um, and hot Gatorade, yeah. which was really nice. And then just basically marched our way back. <laughs> uh, the rest of that, I mean, on the second night, so we were, yeah, we were out there in that section for quite a long time. We started yeah. at night, and so at the second night, we were maybe a couple miles from Longmire. We were like, no, the night again. We like really thought we'd finish before then. And it, we just kind of both got into like a super low and blasted some queen, sang along. Um, as loud as we could, because of course, like cougars, you know, and right. animals. We'll get to that too. <laughs> and then just basically like took little micro naps, which I don't really remember. I think at this point I was like so yeah. tired <laughs> that I don't remember anything, but like sitting on the, like on a stoop or like laying on the dirt or just basically surviving. Yeah. And finally, I think at like 2 a.m., made our way and up to the parking lot to the mirror oh, steps nice. again and we're done <laughs> so this is four days after you guys started just four days insane adventure and navigating so many lows that it's just like so impressive that you guys made it all the way around and what the the fkt that you were going for was what was it it was like two and a half days <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're like you missed the FKT by a day and a half, which is wild. Very long time. But you still kept fighting through it. Um, were you guys the first women to, to finish the Infinity Loop? Yeah, we were the first female team. There was um, a, a team, Nate and Sarah. They um, had done a, a couple years prior. So she was like the first female, but we were the first group. <laughs> yeah, wow. And so... Like, you finished this thing up, and you mentioned this just a second ago. You guys had to be back at work. <laughs> Tell that story. Yeah, that was rough. Um, so because we had, like, planned this so carefully around our work schedules and taken work off, and then the whole weather pushed everything back by a whole day, and then us just being very tired made it a little bit slower than we thought it might yeah. be. Uh, we finished at 2, took... I think Caitlin left that night. I took a nap in my van and then drove three hours to get back to Portland the next morning for work. It was really rough. <laughs> and show up in Evolution and Brad's like, what the hell? What is, yeah, why are those bags under your eyes? <laughs> yeah, it was rough. Well, that's just such an incredible story. Thanks for telling it. I mean, it's like both nauseating and inspiring <laughs> at the same time. Obviously, like, I mean, the thing that's so impressive about it is that you guys just didn't quit. And I'm sure you looking back at it, it's like you know that there's so much time left on the table there. Is that one of these these adventures where it's like, man, I'd like to go back and do it more quickly? Or is it like, that's one, one and done, that's enough. There's no need to put myself through something silly like that again. So that was like a very popular question the couple months after we had finished. And I was like, nope, done, put it yeah. to bed, I'm done. But now I would definitely like to go back and do it because you know, after running Wonderland and then also doing Infinity Loop, I, I mean, I know it can be done faster. Yeah, Obviously, there's always factors that, you know, we experience that just mess it up for you. Yeah. But it would be cool to see how much time we can shave off. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised that that didn't seem to get, like, a ton of play this summer in the year of the FKTs. There wasn't... Because <laughs> it's dumb. <laughs> exactly. And awesome. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, that was the only adventure that you've done around Mount Rainier, <laughs> um, this summer, you went after the unsupported record on the Wonderland Trail, a mm -hmm. trail that I ran around twice this summer as well, <laughs> um, and where we spent some time together during Caitlin's FKT attempt, as her successful attempt. So the Infinity Loop was 2019, Wonderland Trail is 2020. How did that come onto your radar, and why did you decide to, to devote your energies to that adventure this summer? 
Yeah, so I've, you know, after Infinity Loop especially, I've been just so inspired by Wonderland. I was before, but it was one of those trails that seems like so difficult that it was kind of just like real far off of my radar. Um, but after doing it with the Infinity Loop, I was like, all right, I think this could be possible. I think we could, I could do this. Um, so, I mean, that area is just so beautiful. That trail is one of the best in the world, hands the down. Best. So it just, it was a kind of a no brainer. Like I want to spend my summer and my, like, I just want to be devoted to this trail. It's mm -hmm. just so beautiful. So, um, yeah, did that in September. What about the <laughs> unsupported style? I mean, it seems like you take these adventures and you sort of like dial it to 11 in terms of difficulty. You look for ways to kind of <laughs> make things just a little bit more difficult. How did that become your objective? Um, I, I just really, I appreciate unsupported efforts. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think they're any more badass than a supported effort. I just think it's, there's something really cool and like raw about carrying all of your own things that you might need and like relying on yourself and being physically and mentally strong enough to get through those hard times by yourself. Um, you know, I don't know. I just, I just find that really, really attractive yeah. and inspiring. And you like the logistics of it too. Love so it. <laughs> talk about how you how you plan that because just for people who might not be fully aware of all the rules, right? So supported, you can basically get crew aid, support, have pacers, self-supported. You can drop bags at cars like you guys did for the infinity loop. Unsupported, you have to basically take what's on your back and do the whole adventure yourself. So how did you plan that logistically? What did you carry and how'd you think about that? Yeah, my pack was heavy. Um, so I, I think I ended up carrying about three to 400 calories per hour in both like food and liquid form. Mm -hmm. Cause what I learned the hard way on infinity loop was that I like, first, <laughs> I was a mess. I got these really bad mouth sores where I, and like they went down into my throat where I couldn't eat or drink anything. Mm -hmm. Like I tried really hard, but it just like my throat was so swollen that like nothing would even go in. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing I could have for like basically two days was just liquid calories. So I learned, I was like, I got to pack enough liquid stuff in case something weird happens again. Yeah. So Do you I mean like drink mixes? Yeah, or? yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and so I definitely like overpacked on the food. But again, like you really don't know how long you're going to be out there. Plan for a time and something could happen. Mm -hmm. There's no one out there to rescue you. You might need a couple extra hours worth of food. Um, so that was the food deal. Um, I brought an emergency blanket, uh, water filter, headlamps, battery packs, uh, an in-reach, kind of like all like the essential first yeah. aid kit. Um, layers, because you run through the night and it's cold. Um, I think my pack ended up with water was like, 12 or 13 pounds, which isn't too bad. I mean, for 24 hours worth of food, it's all right. Yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> but if it, it, it sure did feel heavy. It's progressively lighter as you go. Yeah, Hopefully yeah. Hopefully if you're eating well. Yeah, it's motivation to eat more every hour, <laughs> exactly. for sure. Um, and then, yeah, basically I, I started um, from Cougar Rock. And That's where I started too, yeah. It's a good spot. <laughs> and then didn't see anyone until I finished. Yeah. Really? Yeah. There was nobody on the trail? Well, oh, you mean you mean you didn't see any crew support? I well, any support, but hardly anyone. I think I saw like five people all so day. So this is what I wanted to talk to you about, also, <laughs> because like just like Infinity Loop, you were confronted with really difficult weather conditions too: heat, wind, smoke. Talk about that, because I remember we messaged back and forth a little bit, because this was not long after I went, um, and we had these wildfires here in the Northwest. So talk about the weather conditions that you confronted and how you thought about that. Yeah, that was rough. So I was originally supposed to do it on a Tuesday and then there was a huge windstorm that came through the Northwest on Monday night. Mm -hmm. And it just, I mean, the winds were up to a hundred. It was taking like huge old growth trees down. And we, I was in a cabin in uh, Ashford and our power went out like that day, never wow. came back to the next morning. I'm like, I can't do this today. I got to push it off another day. Yeah. Um, and so we went and looked at the trail the next morning and it was, I mean, there was stuff everywhere, huge trees down. We were at Reflection Lake and just a couple miles stretch, there were like multiple trees down. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, well, this is, 
this is what's going to have to happen. Um, and of course, this was like also when we had these awful wildfires here. So the sky, you couldn't even see the mountain. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was bad. It was so bad. You could just taste the smoke. Um, there was also a fire that had broke out. I forget somewhere around Rainier when they closed some of the roads. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was pretty bad. So you could see smoke from one side, you could see smoke from the other side. Um, the sky was like, orangey was not ideal so the, the day I ran the next day was was still windy it wasn't as bad as the windstorm the day before tons of down trees really smoky um and then it was hot like there was rangers at Mowich telling people not to hike and to go back to their cars because it was so hot really wow so I was like great just bring it out yeah. <laughs> I mean it's insane I mean I felt like I had a, a crazy hot day and difficult weather conditions but I mean to add having to hurdle so many trees because I mean what I found fascinating is how in what perfect condition the trail was for mm -hmm. me like they take really good care of that trail because there's so many people who who use it and it's such a beautiful perfect trail but I can imagine after you know a hundred mile an hour winds that you have to do your steep, steeplechase routine over a million trees. It was rough. Yeah, after Mowish Lake was the worst of it. And there was just like these huge, I mean, you can't even fathom how, how big these trees are until they're laying across the trail. Yeah. And like these big trees are covering in like four to five to six switchbacks just falling down the trail, mm -hmm. the same tree, which is wild. Yeah. And like having to actually like scale them and not just like hop over them, it was insane. Crazy. So before we go more into, into your run, you and I were both at Caitlin Gerben's FKT this past August as well, and you paced her. We both paced her, um, but you paced her through a, sort of a critical middle section of her attempt. Uh, was there anything from that that informed your record attempt going unsupported as well, or was there any piece of advice that she gave you from her route around the mountain that stuck out in your mind? Hmm. No, it was just a really inspiring performance. Yeah. Like, we, we've done a lot together mm -hmm. in the mountains, and we have a pretty good understanding of, like, when someone needs something. So it was really cool to work together on that. But, you know, I paced her from White River to Box, which was, I don't know, mile 60-some, yeah. and then another 20 miles after that. And just seeing her strength at that point and just, like, continue to push on that late in the run was, like, incredible yeah. I was like all right well I'm like trying to keep up with you right now <laughs> and she's still powering through it we were hitting like really fast splits on the downhill it was just it was awesome to watch yeah unbelievable so back to your attempt eventually you get to a point where you have a confrontation with a wild animal can you tell that story yeah it was fun um <laughs> so I had just left Box Canyon at this point I had about like 10 miles left to go to finish the trail. Um, and it was, I don't even know what time it was, maybe 2 a.m. at this point. Mm -hmm. And it, the climb from Box um, is a couple thousand feet going up to Reflection Lakes. Brutal. Yeah, and there's like a couple washouts on it. It's it's not particularly a fun part for me. No. <laughs> um, so about three miles from Reflection Lakes, I see this, I like turn the trail and there's this creature in front of me, it's, it's a cougar. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, or I'm almost done with this. I'm terrified of cougars. I just, yeah. So it had saw me and it had jumped up to the left into like, onto the trail, onto the left hill. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, well, hopefully it's just like, I scared it's gonna leave me alone. Um, but I was really nervous. So I kept looking behind me and also like making sure I wasn't hallucinating at that point. Cause you can imagine a lot out there, but you know, saw it and then kept looking for it and it kept following me. So I was watching its eyes through the trees. And of course, when you have a headlamp, these eyes seem like cool. bigger and brighter and it's actually easier to kind of like keep track. But for three miles on this like uphill, not awesome part of the trail with all these washouts, this cougar is just jumping from like tree to tree and I can just see its eyes following me. And I was like, I got to reflection. I mean, this, this part of the trail took me so long. Which is a shame because I was like feeling pretty good, yeah. but the constant like turning around and just making sure I wasn't going to get killed by a cougar yeah. was like terrifying. Mentally, I was just, I mean, I was B. I'm sure my heart rate was like 
200 walking uphill <laughs> just because I was so scared. So I got to, refl- um, there's a road you cross before you get to reflection. I crossed the road and I watched it just stay on the other side uh-huh. and, and not cross. Yeah, and, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and so I crossed and I was like, oh God, like hopefully it stays there. And like I stood on the other side of the trail for a little bit waiting to see what I was gonna do and it just hung out. Um, and so I continued, I think it was like half mile to reflection at that point. And I got there and I was like, oh, I'm like done. I can't finish these last like yeah. three miles or four miles or whatever it is. Um, I think I, my like adrenal system was just like drained at that point, mm-hmm. just from like a long day too. But um, took me a bit to kind of compose myself and then kept going back into the woods, yeah. <laughs> back to Cougar Rock. And eventually the cougar didn't follow you to Cougar it Rock. It did not. But it, what an omen, right? <laughs> an amazing omen. You know, it's funny. So you saw the cougar not far from Box Canyon, right? And I think, did you ever read Joe Grant's account of this? Only after this, because yeah. I had told this story to a couple people, and they're like, Joe Grant went through the same thing. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell? He's coming on the podcast, too, so I'll, <laughs> yes. I'll ask him about it. But I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he got followed, like, kind of into Box Canyon, Mm. And then I think he ultimately caught a ride. He was so spooked, he caught a ride back to, to Longmire. Totally. I mean, yeah, after I read his story, it seemed like a, a very similar. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, it's like the same one because they're yeah. pretty territorial, but who knows? That's amazing. So you ended up breaking the unsupported record mm-hmm. on the one Island trail. Congratulations. Thank it's you. amazing. Obviously, you also had really <laughs> tough conditions. It wasn't perfect. Um, like, did you learn anything from going solo and unsupported that, you know, you think you could apply towards maybe a, a future attempt on the Wonderland or something else? Yeah, I mean, the whole day went pretty well for me, all things considered, like mm-hmm. the weather, the cougar. Like, I felt really good. Um, I made it to Mowich in great time for what I wanted to be there in. Um, there was definitely stuff that slowed me down that felt a little bit out of my control, but... I loved it. Like, I loved every second of that run, even the scary parts, and which I had never said that about a long run or, like, a race before. But yeah. truly, like, every second of this, I just had so much fun. Yeah. So I, mean, I would totally – I want to do it again. Um, and I think, I think lowering the time is definitely possible. Yeah. I'd love to try it in that style, too, because I think that route in particular, the Wonderland, is, like – it's like the perfect thing to go unsupported on because it's not crazy long. It's not the infinity mm-hmm. loop. It makes sense just for, you know, uh, distance wise. And you're going to see a lot of people out totally. there. So if you get yourself in a pinch, it's, you're not going to probably put yourself in too precarious of, of a position. There's tons of water, totally. all that stuff. I would love to do that. That's so cool. Um, so, you know, moving on, you, you say that like, and sort of like winding down, you know, you say that you're sort of like a super aggressive weekend warrior. And I wonder like, you know, and you also do such a good job of like making adventure seem like accessible with, you know, for people who follow you, you have a big following. And I wonder like if you, you know, if if that's like sort of what, one of the things that motivates you is to sort of like, you know, show that normal people with normal jobs can also get out and do these amazing things and set these records and be great athletes as well. Is that anything about that sort of resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, I think it's cool and it's cool that people are inspired by it, but I just yeah. like, I've just been excited to like make up for lost time. It feels like, yeah. like I, I love working. I, I enjoy what I do. Um, but I also really enjoy being outside yeah. and I think you can balance them. So how, how do you balance them? I mean, obviously, for, for the things that you do, it takes a ton of training, right? You can't just go summit Mount Rainier without having the skills that it takes to, you know, be safe in that environment. It's not easy to cover 150 miles with 50,000 feet of climbing without training your ass off beforehand. What, do you, what does your routine look like that allows you to achieve these amazing things while also carrying this full-time job? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I devoted a lot of time when I moved here to learn these skills. And then, of course, I practice them every year. But I think, like, none of this stuff happens overnight. So, you know, I six years ago on New Year's Eve, I climbed St. Helens, which is not a technical mountain. It's mm-hmm. a volcano, but it's, you know, it's a hike. 
And that felt like the biggest, coolest thing I'd ever done. And now thinking like, you know, five years later, we were climbing Rainier and twice, like it's kind of wild. But, you know, in between that, then and now is with so much practice and learning and and courses and, and doing kind of like the stuff that isn't super glamorous, like learning how to tie knots or like glacier rescue or glacier travel, like all of these things. Um, but you know, we work and maybe we work eight to 10 hours a day and we still have so much time in the day left for stuff. And maybe it's just like my love of logistics, but I love planning things. (laughs) And so I, I, not just FKT attempts, but like your your daily training. Totally. Like with running is great. I don't, run usually more than an hour a day mm-hmm. and then the weekends are just kind of a free-for-all which is a lot of fun yeah, but it seems like to do these things it seems like easier to manage when you can break it down to little pieces like focus on some technical skills devote an hour of exercise a day and you still got some time left in the day yeah. and I, I'm saying this as like a single married woman or yeah. married woman without kids, without kids and without you know a lot of huge responsibilities other than a job but yeah. um, I think I think if you're just like motivated and stoked, there's definitely ways to fit this in. You just got to like maybe sacrifice some sleep on a Sunday night, which we did for a while. Um, lots of driving, but yeah, well, it's so cool. And it is, it's inspiring for me to, to follow along and see how good you are at all these different things. And it makes me want to, um, you know, be a little bit more multidimensional myself. So appreciate that. So Let's finish by talking about some sort of like future goals. We've talked about some of your past adventures and we didn't even scratch the surface. There's so many other things <laughs> we could have talked about. We, we went running this past weekend and you told me about something that you have planned coming up in May. So maybe tell the people about that and maybe other adventures that you want to accomplish in 2021. Yeah, this I haven't really thought about this question much, which is wild, but um, I have a race scheduled in May, which was postponed from last year, but it's the Mount Baker Ultra. And it's a combination of running and mountaineering. So you run a little bit, um, you climb Sherman Peak, which is a sub-peak of Mount Baker, uh, descend and then run back. So I think it's like about a 50 mile race. Yeah. But it's really cool because again, you get to combine the running and the mountaineering, which is my jam. It sounds so fun. Yeah. Um, and so excited for that. And then I guess other 2021 goals, I, I mean, I love these volcanoes and I love moving fast. I'm just like so in love and inspired by all of them that like, I would like to see how fast I could do some of them yeah. and put up some, some ascents or circumnavigations. Oh yeah. So ascents, ascents and descents okay. for sure. Yeah. Um, you did Adams this year, didn't you? I did Adams. Yep. That. Yep. Um, and then I've done hood and I have a decent time on that. Yeah. Um, but I would like to kind of tackle a couple more and, and yeah. put some respectable Sweet. times on there. Awesome. <laughs> um, and I would love to go after the Timberline trail record. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. Well, I can't wait to follow along. Um, well, Alex, thanks so much, man. It's great to sit down and, and chat with you and it's Likewise. fun to, to run with you. I'm sorry. I missed our, our Wednesday. <laughs> <Inaugural. morning. laughs> yeah, and I was the one who tried to put this whole thing together. I feel so ashamed, but, um, thanks for the inspiration. Thanks for telling the stories and, uh, let's do it again soon. Thank you for having me. cool right thanks so much to alex for coming on the show i really appreciate her time and her attitude and her insights on all the amazing things that make her the athlete and person that she is if you don't already i would definitely encourage you to follow alex on instagram she's got a huge following she does a great job of documenting all these amazing things that she does in her personal and professional life so do follow her on instagram you can find a link in the show notes i also link to Alex's website. If you're looking for personal nutrition consultation, uh, please do reach out to her there. I'm not sure if she's taking clients, but uh, I link to it anyway, and you can reach out to her and ask for yourself. I also link to her place of work here in Portland, Oregon, which we talked about in the podcast, a little place called Evolution Healthcare and Fitness, an awesome, awesome place who 
support me, support Alex, um, and is generally just uh, an amazing place to visit when you find yourself here in Portland. I also finally link to the Mount Rainier Infinity Loop, uh, at least the FKT board there. So you could take a look at um, what we were talking about. It is a little bit um, maybe obscure, um, but very hardcore. And it's difficult to really uh, nail the description of it uh, in podcast format. So I would definitely recommend that you do check that out on the FKT page. Again, link in the show notes. Finally, again, subscribe pillars app you'll find links in the show notes um and we'd really appreciate it if you do subscribe join the journey let us know what you think what you like what could be improved um physical and emotional fitness lots of great stuff in there um and we're going to be adding more very soon we'll have more announcements on phase two content rollout in the near future but for now please do go download the app please leave me a rating a review in the podcast platform of your choice. And please do continue to be here and listen every time we drop an episode. It makes me feel so good. I love you guys so much. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Talk to you soon.